Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. The We're getting close to the end of March. Of course, as I mentioned, the end of March is the end of our current hosting, at least as far as I can plan, and that's still on track. Basically, what will happen, as I want to refresh everybody, is that basic cryptonomics, Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net, will be moving to its new host. And that will be effective the first episode in April. It should be on the new host. That, of course, will be on the 5th of April, that Tuesday. Should be getting broadcast from the new host after I finish the move. I'll be working on that over this weekend. So there'll be one more episode this coming Thursday where you'll hear my illustrious voice talking all things cryptocurrency up until this. And I've got everything mentally ready to go. I've got the scheduler ready to go. I've got the subscription deal ready to go. Everybody who's subscribed to Basic Cryptonomics today through Substack, I have the list of those users. Nothing should change in your notifications. You should still get the updated notifications. I got one last test to wrap up that should be firing, I believe, today. Once I verify that went through correctly, I will start the uh, new subscription. You'll get the new messaging from the new uh, service that I'm using. It'll let you know when the new episodes are posted. For everybody listening, of course, our site is CryptoTalkRadio.net, where you can find all of our various platforms that we are hosted on, and we are worldwide at this point. I appreciate every one of you, and would appreciate it even greater if you would spread the word to anybody that you think would see value in what we cover. Just send them to CryptoTalkRadio.net, let them know they can choose any of the platforms to listen to our podcasts. Easiest way would be to, of course, add the podcast to your application on your phone or mobile device. But I know some of you listen on the computer, possibly at work. So that's cool, too. We are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, as well as a host of other platforms for your convenience. When we change this over to the new host, nothing will change in terms of the availability of the podcast. My commitment to you is I will keep the experience the same. The new host will simply position me to do things a little bit easier and better. I did have a great conversation over on Gentleman's World, which is our sister podcast at casualtalkradio.net. And he gave me some great ideas that I'm going to be implementing or considering how to for Crypto Talk Radio. I got to think about the mechanics of what that means. And there's a lot of planning and a lot of things to do. On the other side, as far as internal news, I am still mentally conditioned that I'm going to be getting the hell out of Nevada. I have not figured out exactly the nuts and bolts of that move yet. It's still on deck to do it. I just have to figure out the timing. The timing's got to be right. I'm waiting on some emails back from some people that are not emailing back the way I want them to. Once I get those emails back, then I can get something signed. And once I get something signed, I can immediately pull the trigger. My deal was good to go as far as my storage and everything else. So everything's ready. It is still on deck. It is still part of the plan. That's still going forward. So, with that said, let's go ahead and get into our external news. Now, top of the hour, there's a couple of things that I thought was signature standout. First up is Doge. Dogecoin has been kind of under the radar, hasn't been as much in the news as you might have expected, and that's just because the industry is changing and there's a lot of sentiment issues, and of course the president keeps going up there talking about things, and he seems to tank the business every single time, but... Elon, Elon Musk came out. He was talking about accepting cryptocurrency for what he's doing. And what he's talking about is creating his own social media platform. And then if he creates his own social media platform, he happens to be on the advisory team for Dogecoin. And the thought would be if we integrate cryptocurrency into his platform, that would enable Doge to have more utility to basically say, if we assume that Twitter right now is the town square, it's the digital equivalent of a town square, but it has its flaws. And we saw with Twitter banning the president and all this other stuff, what he's saying is, well, what? how do we fix that? How do we get back to some common sense? And he just threw out the question, basically saying, well, what if we were to start up our own platform? What if we were to start up our own social media? And of course there are other competitive platforms like Parler that have tried to do this and the cha- and Donald Trump, as I understand it, got on those. I think part of the challenge with creating another platform is simply the time aspect. You can get partial popularity, but like Elon Musk 
believe it or not, is only popular with a very specific subset of the world. And that's really much, that's really going to be like the Japanese for the most part because of cryptocurrency. I would say probably people in Silicon Valley, perhaps, but not like people in the heartland, the Bible Belt. Like most people don't care about Elon Musk, so they're not going to go to that platform. And predominantly, the only reason people go on Twitter now is because of the updates from like police or the news or that, because those have moved to those outlets instead of doing what I think they should do, which is to actually work locally. Out here, they actually the police department will send you mail about what's going on in the community, so they're in, involved, but it's rare. Like most of them just kind of ran up to social media and they assume, like if there's a fire, they'll just assume that you're on Twitter and that you'll get a tweet telling you to get out of your freaking home. They don't even use the, because they can't trust the calling system anymore. Because what would happen was in the olden days of so-called copper, the landline, they could get a list and call, broadcast call everybody that had a landline system. They can't really do that on the mobile. There's an emergency system on the mobile, but you can't really trust it, especially when you have like prepaid and others. So they kind of got lazy, threw up their hands and said, okay, well, screw it. We'll just go to Twitter for all these signature updates. Like with some of the fires out in California, I don't even know that something's happening unless I smell something in the air or I happen to see something in the air that tells me there's a fire. I don't know about it like I normally would have in the past where they would have done everything they could to reach as much people. Because even out here, we might be at risk for it because of the way the winds blow. And then, of course, smog and smoke and everything else. So I think with him, he's just kind of throwing ideas out there. And it's got some chatter because the thought was, OK, if he ties that to Dogecoin and Dogecoin becomes its utility and then that spikes Dogecoin's price. And does that put Dogecoin back up as far as price goes? I don't think it does, but that's the chatter. I simply bring it to attention. That's the chatter. The other bit of news about Bitcoin. In the previous episode, I speculated that Bitcoin looked like it should be getting back up to about 50,000 per coin. It has been slowly but steadily trending up towards that. I think it got up as high as like 47,000. And so it's been kind of going, but it's hitting some resistance. There are some still sales that are happening. I don't think these are sales for profit necessarily, but they could be. Could be that people are just selling for profit on the way back up to recoup losses from when it dipped off, seven, off 60. That's entirely plausible. It just seemed to me like it wasn't necessarily profit sales. It seemed like it was sales for some other reason. Like if I looked at many of the stable coins, the stable coins didn't look like they were getting a lot of traffic necessarily. So that seemed to denounce the theory that people were just dumping. It didn't seem like it was that. It seemed like people were selling for a specific reason. It's still holding at around 47,000. Certainly better than the 36 or 37 that it was. Nowhere near the 60K that we would expect. And that's why I said I'm, I'm keying on about 50,000-ish. No one knows when it's going to hit there because, again, you still got the president up there talking his nonsense. Fortunately, there's a little bit of a frustration now because Nancy Pelosi, she's in Congress for those not in the United States. Nancy Pelosi went up and she was talking about the inflation situation. And if you're not in the United States, you have to understand that people in our Congress, quite a few of them, will lie to people on a regular basis. And so Pelosi went up there and she basically said, you know, increased government spending doesn't result in inflation. That's not true. Of course, it is true. Economics 101 tells us this and numerous people debunk what she said. But the problem is that because we can't trust our Congress in the words they say, it's causing people to be sketchy. We can't trust even the government entities that are there to help protect the United States citizens, I think causes some sentiment harm. So we'll have to see how that goes. But right now, as it stands, Bitcoin is solid. It's not crapping like it was. It is solid. And hopefully it gets to a more positive point here in the near future. Axie Infinity, one of the top, if not the top, in blockchain gaming. I may have or may not have talked about the Crypto Unicorns, which I was asked to cover on YouTube. I'm pretty sure I did. The Crypto Unicorns is kind of one of those that's doing blockchain gaming, kind of the rise of this as it's getting more and more popular. Axie is still the top, and I maintain it was going to stay this, the top. Recently, it's Ronin Bridge, which is one of the bridges on that on that chain, got hacked. And there was $600 million that was taken on it. This just happened literally today. This is a serious issue. And the reason it's a serious issue is not only because of the amount of money that was involved, 
But there was a lot of different things that were affected by this. A lot. Um, law enforcement's involved. Um, they got forensics involved. They're trying to track this down. And if you heard me before, it's getting much easier to kind of flush funds and, and run away with that money. But the reason this was so serious is because apparently they were able to hack private keys. Now, you may have heard in a past episode, and if you're new, I'll repeat a little bit. When you have a wallet, your wallet has a private key that is not to be disclosed outside of anything. And then you have a public key, and that's what you use if you want to receive funds. The private key is available in the wallet, and they've been moving when I say they, I'm talking the different wallet providers. They've been moving away from giving you access to this private key and instead doing a mnemonic phase, phrase. So it's like a bunch of words, right? The mnemonic phrase is just as sensitive. You shouldn't be giving it away. But the private key, the way the private key works, it ties directly to the wallet itself. So in this case, your Bitcoin wallet or your Ethereum wallet or so on. And then your multi-wallet holds different types of currencies. And the mnemonic phrase protects that. This, being able to get to the private keys is, it's not like it's impossible to do it, but it's extremely difficult to be able to do it. If it was hacked, meaning that they were able to figure out what the key was, and it wasn't that somebody gave it, or it wasn't social engineering, or some way that somebody gave the key, and instead it was actually hacked, it's a huge problem. Because you could think about everybody's wallet essentially has a private key. And if private keys are able to get hacked. That was one of the reasons that they went with the structure that they did was the difficulty of hacking. If the hackers have gotten more advanced to the point they can hack that key, it creates a serious breach for just about everybody. And there's no real way to solve it other than reissuing a new wallet with new crypto, not cryptocurrency, but cryptography to where the private key is a lot more robust against hacking. And that affects a lot of people. It affects a lot of exchanges. It affects banks. It affects companies. It affects a lot of people. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm saying that if what I see is true and they quote, I'm quoting from the article, hacked private keys. If that's true, it's a huge, huge problem. Outside of even the Axie Infinity, it's a huge problem. So I'll be watching that one, see what happens and see how they resolve that. Because it's... it. When it caught my that caught my eye, and I'm like, okay, that that seems like it's a huh, pretty big issue if that's really what happened, and we have to see what the what the deal is on what's going on there. The only other piece of news I think was worth the time to cover, and I don't know that it's really news, but it's it's a follow on to what I covered before. Cardano ADA. I mentioned early that Cardano is one of those projects I thought had strong potential, but for whatever reason. It was never able to succeed like I think it should have. Cardano's recently had a resurgence. It is now on a climb because a lot of people are scooping it up. This is because of the upgrades and the different things that they've been doing. And now it's starting to get a little bit more positive traction in the eyes of investors as a viable crypto in addition to it being an alternative to the others that are out there. And so there's a lot of ADA uh, Cardano purchased very recently. And then Coinbase introduced uh, staking for Cardano. So that also increases interest because then you can just purchase it and it sits in the wallet and you collect a little bit additional. So this increase in traffic, of course, has spiked the price. It, it went as low, I want to say it's like 50 cents, 60 cents or something, all the way up very close to like $1.50, $1.60. Its highest price that I can recall was like $3.30. So it's not a significant jump but if you were one of those that just was stockpiling Cardano for ages, 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 you might have been able to turn it into something because of this run to Cardano that just took years. It took years. I was Cardano was one of the first cryptos I ever bought into. And that was at the time it was somewhat higher. And then when I saw it decline, I did sell some of it. I meant, or excuse me, mine rather, mine to get more of it. But then I would just kind of turn it into something else and then go that way. And then I kind of steered to a different direction. But now I still have a bag of Cardano sitting in Coinbase and it I just watch it grow. And then, of course, I get the rewards for the staking. So it's interesting to see it go from that total trash out all the way back up to a recovery. And we'll have to see if it's able to maintain this velocity uh, the way it's done ever so recently. I'm very excited here uh, to see if this is going to work uh, long term for Cardano and get us to a better place overall with the cryptocurrency 
that cryptocurrency because I still think it's a strong contender. I still think it's one of the best cryptos that apparently is just mismanaged and not really well taken care of. That's all I got for the internal external news. Just another side note that I'll point out here. I think now's the best place to put it. There's a couple of things that happened in crypto land and this happened quick and I'll cover it here just in case anybody listening to the show is involved in these uh, different projects. So Pongo Inu is a crypto I did not cover and mostly because I didn't think much of it. Uh, but Pongo Inu has, I've seen the coverage, I've watched it. It seemed like a, it was a community organic growing. Recently, what I was told is that the dev uh, chose to abandon the project. I don't know the specifics. I wasn't following it because they were primarily on Telescam, so I wasn't following it. But apparently they abandoned the project. Uh, the community was not really happy. Uh, another group tried to jump in, help the community restore that and get the dev to release the keys so that they could take the project and continue it. But apparently the dev just, it was kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it. Anybody that's a gamer who played Horizon Zero West, or Zero Dawn rather, I don't want to spoil it, but ultimately it was a similar situation in the sense that somebody had access to the, the keys to the kingdom. They had the ultimate keys, and then there's a segment, I'm trying not to spoil, there's a segment where that person does an action that results in a very bad situation because they have the keys and they're not unlocking the door. That's what this feels like. It feels like the dev just basically said, you know, I'm going to leave. You can sell out of the project if you want, but I'm not going to let anybody else work this project. It's just going to let it die. And I, I find that distasteful. I find that very disturbing. That is a crypto dev. Nobody's suggesting that crypto development is an easy science. Nobody says that it is easy. Nobody thinks that it's an easy thing to do. And I've said that it's hard to get cryptos to succeed nowadays. The sentiment has changed. People's tastes have changed. I think passive income just took a forefront. Even it's now starting to shift, by the way. And I'll get to that in a second. But I think there's just a lot of shift in the way people think. And it is harder. And that's why you got to have to adapt. You have to kind of keep up with what's popular, what's currently in people's eyes as the thing they want to throw their money at. It is not necessarily about follow the whales because sometimes the whales are simply going where they can dump on a project. So I don't necessarily agree with that mantra either. I think you just have to have a, a pulse on what you see, which is what I advocate strongly. And I do this mostly on YouTube. I try to get the, the token to listen. I reach out and I'll say, look, let me help you because I have a pulse on what I'm seeing here from the lens of an investor and I can suggest things and we can try some things and make it work. You got nothing to lose, but because the tokens don't want the smoke, I can't have them come on the show and hear some of that so that they can grow and get better. The DR token episode that we did are, is still one of the most popular episodes we ever did because we think there's an appetite. We think that investors want to hear their tokens outside of their comfort zone on somebody else's platform that's neutral and we can help them with suggestions if we think it's a great project. Like to this day, we thought that Paratoken should not be failing as it is, but it's failing because they're making bad decisions over and over. And we want to try to help them. So with Pongo, seeing that the dev just quit, it's really disgusting because it seemed like the community was really excited about the token. It And they had a bunch of people talking about it, but it wasn't like it wasn't like being shoved in your face. And so I don't know. They, they gave some theories about what happened with the guy, but I get the sense that he just he, I think it's a he, he just didn't want people to succeed. That was my gut. I'm not in the room, never was, but that's what it felt like to me. And it's really disgusting to see that. So if you were in Pongo Inu or interested in Pongo Inu, you had your eye on Pongo Inu. It's not a rug pull. As far as we can tell, it's not a rug pull. It's not like it was a scam, but you might've seen a loss of value. The loss of value is because the dev abandoned the project. And when this happened, and all this apparently took down Telescam. I heard about it after the fact. But apparently after this happened, a bunch of people dumped off the token and took their bag and went elsewhere because they were really upset about what this guy had done after the project was doing so well that he would turn off and do this. So that's Pongo Inu. If you were invested in that project or somehow interested in that project, I would just bring that to your attention. The next one I'll talk about is ETH Fan Token, which we covered some time ago. And at the time I covered it, it was a different token, but I thought it had strong potential. It had strong hype, strong push. And the challenge is I didn't realize just how deep embedded Del Crypto, who's, uh, uh, I'm going to call him a shiller. 
Del Crypto has been heavily involved in that token in addition to many others. And it seems like every time Del Crypto gets involved with a token project, that token will suffer, inevitably suffer, because what he'll do is he will dump. So he'll generate bags, large bags, however he gets them, whether they're airdropped or whatever, and he'll dump it. He was involved with Lily Finance, same thing. It had initial people buying it early, and then he dumped it, and I covered it on YouTube where he was called into an AMA, and this guy basically said, you're canceled, bro. And I had said on YouTube, it's like, it's not, he's not canceled. He's going to keep doing it. There's nothing you can do to cancel him. He's going to keep doing what he's doing. Well, Lily Finance is like this. Now, ETH Fan Token is, has come out. The community is very pissed off at Dell Crypto because their token is no longer succeeding like it was before. It's kind of on the decline. Same thing as Paratoken. Dell Crypto was right in front of Paratoken. He had dumped on Paratoken, as far as I can tell, allegedly, he had dumped on Paratoken. It never recovered. The Paratoken team keeps making bad decisions, so I had to leave it ethically. I couldn't support that. But every token he's been in front of, they have the super pump, and then they crap. And so the ETH fan token folks in the community are really upset because he keeps jumping to different tokens, and he's not prioritizing attention to theirs. The thing is, he doesn't really have to. That's his job as a shiller. That's what he does. He will shill whichever other tokens he feels like it. He's not dedicated to each and every one because loyalty doesn't make money. So I understand his mind. It doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. Point is, I understand his mind. But that's exactly why I don't want tokens to go after shillers. Because the shillers don't care about you. They don't care about your project. They don't care about your community. They talk a good game, like Donald Trump. They don't care about you. They care about their money, their bag. That's, that's who they are. That's what it is. So I want tokens to succeed without them. Because when you bring them in, they cause nothing but harm. And this is another example, allegedly ETH fan token, where he's causing significant harm to a project. And it's a project that had great potential. And unfortunately, I don't know. I'm sure that they'll recover at some point in a future state. There's no telling when. And there's no telling what it will take to get to that point of improvement. But it's, again, disheartening to see when you have a token and they give money to these people only to have them get dumped on. And then they lose it. And then their leadership is too proud to ask for help. Where folks like myself could help them out uh, and help them recover and we don't we don't get that that opportunity. So, ETH fan token. If you were involved in that one, or um, ETH fan bird, I believe is the other one. If you're involved in that ecosystem, that's happening right now. If you're seeing weird price movement, that's what's happened. That's what's going on there. The last one I'll cover as far as tokens specifically is Libero. Libero has continued to do what I expected it to do in terms of general price movement. If you weren't following social media, because it's the only way that you would have known this, Libero has recent has recently released a branch to the Phantom Network. However, they released it as a different token called F Libero. And their reasoning was that if they had released just Libero on that and bridged it, it would cause other issues that they didn't want to have. I understand what they're saying. I don't necessarily agree with it. So they created the separate token F Libero. They did a pre-sale had multiple rounds and the pre-sale pretty much sold out with strong interest because they saw the main Libero. Now I want to explain Libero's ecosystem as it stands right now because it's important to understand what's going on. If you're in Libero or you watch Libero, you know that its graph kind of fluctuates a little bit up and down. It doesn't have the dramatic sways of like Seifu, which is in the crapper right now, but it's kind of ever so slightly moving up and down. What's happening, I believe, is that people that had Libero bags are selling them to buy into F Libero to capitalize on the initial pump that that one's going to have, and then they're going to dump it and move back to the regular Libero because the regular Libero then has Libero Bank where you can generate more rewards. So what happens is you could have, let's say, a million Libero tossed into, and that's a lot of money, by the way, cash, tossed in Libero Bank, and it's generating, you're, you're earning liberal rewards. And you can cash those out. It's basically passive income. But you also earn BUSD rewards, and that's passive income. The more people sell, the more BUSD rewards you get. The BUSD APY goes up. So a smart strategy, which I suspect people are doing, is they'll leave a bag in Liberal Bank, and you can stake it for up to four years. And that's how you get the maximum rate. 
So you leave the bag, in, and also there's an airdrop of BUSD that happens like every month or something based on how big your bag is. So you can leave this bag in Libero Bank. You're getting BUSD rewards on a constant basis. Every 30 minutes they, they accrue, and you can cash it out, or you can buy more Libero and, and either keep it in your wallet or keep it in the bank. Let's say you did have a 1,000 Libero. You're going to get every day probably about 20,000, maybe 20 to 50,000 Libero every day. That's like 30 to $50-ish every day at current prices just for having it sit in the bank. Let's say that you had a million Libero sitting in the bank and a million Libero sitting in your wallet. So your wallet Libero is automatically getting reflections. Then you get the Libero rewards from Libero Bank. Then you get the BUSD rewards from Libero Bank. Then you get the airdrop every month. You could take your existing Libero in the wallet, you could sell it, and then buy into F Libero so that you could take advantage of the initial pump and then dump it, which I suspect is going to happen. Take that and then buy right back into the Libero ecosystem. And now you're buying at a discount. But meanwhile, your bank rewards have been going up because everybody was selling. Do you understand? Like, as people sell, your BSD is increasing. The amount you get is increasing of sales. So I suspect, so, and I've seen how big the whale wallets are. We're talking some massive wallets here. It's, it's open information. So I was like, okay, they, they, we got some pretty big hitters. Like, like there's people in there that have bags so big. I'm trying to explain how solid in terms of the financial that Libero is. There are people who have bags in Libero right now. I've done the math because they give you a calculator. They're making the equivalent of like $50,000 minimum every year. Some of them are making the equivalent of like $10,000 every month in just passives. We're talking just passives because their wallets are so big. And I can tell many of them state a lot of that bag because you can see how much is in the bank. They give you that number. But I see that number going down. Now, some of that's due to the price, like with Bitcoin's price going down and Ethereum's price going down and BNB's price going down, right? Some of that's because of that, but some of that's also because of sell. We know that. And you can stake for less than the time. So so somebody that had a super big bag could have staked it for like a month, a week, two weeks, right? And then they withdraw it and they just take those rewards, let it sit in the wallet, accumulate, put it back in and repeat the process. And then they take this and then they go and they do this F Libero, wait for it to pump and dump and then put back in Libero. I suspect that's what's going to happen. And I chimed to the social media account for the Libero group and expressed that I was not, I didn't agree with their approach. That was the first thing was, I think they should have just done the bridge over to Phantom with the same token. And the second issue I had was the pre-sale, how it was handled. It was basically a rat race. It was like a Black Friday rat race, that's what it was. And I felt like, no, this is wrong. You're basically punishing people that didn't know about this, that don't follow Twitter. Because the only way you would have known is either go to Twitter and be following them or their telescam group or you're constantly in the app every day, which I'm not in the app every day. I don't need to. It accrues and it's, it is what it is. So if you didn't know about it and you came in late, well, the pre-sales are buying out and you don't get an opportunity. The pre-sale just lets you buy at a discount, but you don't get a chance to buy in because remember, since it's on Phantom, you got to go get the Phantom token in order to buy this thing. Fortunately, Coinbase sells the Phantom token, so that wouldn't have been that hard. But by the time I knew about it, all of the pre-sales slots that were available had been booked up and then they were releasing the next slot and it was like at 2 a.m. in the morning, my time. Well, that's not going to work for me, brother. So I said, okay, I'm just not going to do F Libero. It is what it is and I'm not going to worry about it. And later, maybe I'll buy off a dip because that's compound because now you can have two different avenues of passive income. So I believe in the Libero ecosystem, but I wasn't going to do the rat race. I refuse. And I told them I didn't agree with what they did. The other thing I said I didn't agree with was I felt like the pre-sale should have guaranteed anybody who had ex libero the chance to do a pre-sale on a separate thing with no time constraint, with no urgency. If you have ex libero you can buy this F libero and you're guaranteed a slot because ex libero means that you're part of the bank. If you're part of the bank, you're one of the ones that's supporting this token. 
you're keeping it healthy while you're doing this transition. So I didn't agree that they didn't do that. It's their token. It's their prerogative. I just purposely thought it was a bad idea and it is what it is. So that's liberal financial. Again, if you are interested in it or watching it, that's what's going on with it. The price movement, I believe, is directly correlated to people selling their liberal to buy into the pump and dump for F liberal when it first starts. Fortunately, Phantom, the network, doesn't have very many people on it, so it shouldn't have too much volatility. And I, my guess is that most of the people in the Phantom side are going to be whales who are already aware of Libero and they're trying to just capitalize on the initial pump and dump because they already missed the grow of Libero. Remember, Libero dropped like three zeros, so they already missed that growth. The beauty is for the rest of us, as it goes down, we get more BUSD rewards and we get the opportunity to buy back in at a dip because we know Libero is going to go back up again because it's a solid project for what it is so that's all i got for those tokens now let's go ahead and take this opportunity get into our underdog token and then we'll go ahead and wrap up another token was brought to my attention and i wanted to go ahead and cover it the uh, at the top of the show because i know there's certain people that simply don't listen to its duration at the top of the show i'm going to say if the people behind the project want to come on the show, I would welcome them if they want the smoke so we can talk about what I'm about to talk about because I cover what I see. If what I see isn't what you expected me to see, we should talk about why I see it and resolve it because it helps you as a project. In this case, I don't think the project really needs my help per se. I simply call to attention what I observe in the project and the concerns are simply concerns. If they want to come on the show and talk it out, that's fine. No, I'm not going to telescam to talk to you. No, I'm not going to go to DMs and Twitter to talk to you. You come on the show so that everybody can hear it straight from the, in this case, dog's mouth. This token is Pitbull. Pitbull.community is its website. It's on the Binance Smart Chain. And I look at the project and I like everything I see on the surface of the project. It's an involved project. It looks like it may be a V2. Hard to tell because the history seems to be missing. But they stated a lot of things on the website I had concerns with. Before I get to that, let me just kind of break this down start to finish so I'm fair. In tokenomics, there's a 2% reflection. There is the 2% for liquidity. A little bit over 59% has been burned. I verified the amount that's been burned. I verified the amount that is circulating. So the numbers are all consistent in what I see and their website is up to date in that regard. A little bit over 450,000 holders. So it's got a very strong holder base and holder support. There's some controversy about that. I'll get to that at some point later. 100 quadrillion looks like the total supply. And again, with just under 60 quadrillion burned, that means the circulating supply is about 40 quadrillion remaining and the price is steadily going up after it's been on a decline due to all the stuff that's been happening recently. They did a tech rate audit and if you've heard me before, you know I don't really rate tech rate. I'm going to get into why here in a moment. They gave a roadmap where they're talking about their dApp. They're talking about all the different networks that they're going to get on, tier one exchanges they want to get on the branding, and unfortunately, Schiller's. I'll, I'm not even going to talk about it because it's not worth it because I realize other people don't care. But they have a lot of applications that already exist, things that are on their site that they've, they put kind of forth. And I want to talk about one of them that I was able to experience at least firsthand. They have a tool they built. It's a D app that they built that allows you to track your holdings. And then it's supposed to give you charts. The charts part doesn't work the transaction table does. So you can see buys and sells live with the price that they paid. And it's similar as what you would see as if you went to like Nomics or PooCoin. But it's good to have it all in one place. I guess that's good. There's also an NFT farm for NFTs. And to their credit, they don't shove the NFTs in your face. The NFTs are kind of, it's here, we have it, but it's not, it doesn't dominate the narrative of the site, which I celebrate them for this. They have their own swap. It's a pretty simple swap. It's not like the advanced, like Shiba swap type. There's a lottery function 
And then there's a safety checker. Uh, there's a metaverse they've been working on that there still hasn't launched yet, but they've been working on. And then a pit mag is kind of a cryptocurrency magazine digest that they released. And then they have charities that they donate to to support the project. Physical products, they have a very strong community presence, a very strong social media management strategy. Their Reddit is very heavily engaged. I was very pleased seeing how well they engage with the community. They don't force you to telescam, although telescam is one of their communities and we know why. They don't force you there. They're actively across social media engaging with their holders wherever they may happen to be, which is great, including YouTube. And they have a direct email address if you want to reach out to them for business inquiries, quote unquote. They don't have on their website, at least, open KYC that I can see. I don't see that they are directly identified as to who they are and where they are from. However, one of the social media platforms they have is Weibo. Weibo.com is, I would argue, 99% China. I don't sense that these are people only from China, but it does seem like there's a presence in terms of the developer team of people from China. They said that they have volunteers from across that came together to build this project out. I have no way to verify this because there's no KYC. However, one thing I celebrate which seems to validate that stance is their white paper is actually translated into six different languages, English, Chinese, Turkish, Portugueses, Persian, and Spanish. It's the first token I think I've seen that took the time to translate their white paper into multiple different languages. So that seems to verify, and of course you could have paid for that service, but they might very well have people from across the globe coming together on this thing. Project says that the, in this case it says version one, which is why I think that this is a V2. The white paper reflects V1 still, says that it was released in March of 2021. So we're a year out from when the first would have launched. And the white paper as stated, I would rate it as a very good, not excellent, but a very good white paper for what it does and how they presented it. So website, good kudos. White paper, good kudos. Social media, good kudos. Seems like a strong project. Seems like it's very robust. Seems like it's a very solid contender considering it went a little bit under the radar. Now, here's where I started having some concerns of my own. You've heard me, if you've listened to the show for a while, say that for any token that's on the Binance Smart Chain, we can analyze the contract in a quick second using marketmove.ai. Marketmove.ai does an AI-based analysis of the contract and then flags things that it considers a strong concern. And unfortunately, this one didn't come out with that great of a score. They're easy things to fix, but I'm not sure if the contract supports fixing them. Top of the list is that right now, the top 10 holders have just under 25% of the total circulating supply. So to put that in perspective, 10 people have just under, if I say 40 quadrillion, 10 holders have 10 quadrillion among them of the total circulating supply that's remaining. That means that they could easily kill the, kill the project if they were to dump out. Some of the social media, specifically Reddit, called out concerns about one wallet in particular that was dumping like 100,000, 500,000, a million. Seemed like they were dumping out. The top wallet in this guy holds 8 million worth of value. When I say value, I'm talking about if they were to sell, how much could they take out of the project? This brought up concern number two in the liquidity pool, the primary liquidity pool, which would be wrapped BNB from what I can see. In this, it looks like there's not much liquidity remaining. It looks like there's only just over 200,000 in liquidity remaining in the primary liquidity pool, which is wrapped BNB on PancakeSwap. They have a lot of different liquidity pools, so it's possible that they're sustained by the, the variety of liquidity pools, but when I went through the vast majority of them, I didn't see very much liquidity made available in any of the other pools other than the primary pancake swap one for wrapped BNB, even on the stablecoin side, which that was kind of weird because if you had some sort of stability liquidity pool, I would expect that it would have quite a bit of liquidity to it because otherwise, how would you stabilize the value? 
the value did the initial pump and then it declined over time and it somewhat recovered, but not fully. It never has really gotten to the point where we would see strong upward trend. It looks like it still has the popularity, but it's possible that the, the newness is gone. The reason this one caught my eye though, is that on the primary liquidity pool, it seems to have a lot of volume. Actual volume is running through it at a very strong rate despite the liquidity. The daily volume was just, I would say just over 700,000. 700,000 isn't that much by itself, but when you compare that against what its liquidity pool was doing, either there's a resurgence in popularity or some major sell-offs. The graph seems to indicate that there's a resurgence in popularity and people are buying back into it after extended periods of sales stemming back to like late December. With this many holders, it is kind of peculiar to have this low of a liquidity available and this low of a volume. So one of two things is likely happening here. Either I'm correct and the the newness wore off, because this is listed on exchanges too. So it's not like it should not have more volume than it does, because it's on exchanges like crazy. And the exchanges that it's got should certainly have driven some positive value for this on a regular basis just because of exposure. Like if I look at Hotbit alone, Hotbit alone should have gotten way more, way more uh, value and volume than what I'm seeing. And then you got ones like BKEX. That one should have some volume on its own. The other ones are kind of lesser tier, you know, like uh, Ghetto IndoX, MEXC. But just presence on the exchange, there should be a lot more awareness that the project's there and because of the price, it would appeal to people to just say, you know what, I'm gonna toss a little money and see what happens. So I took a look at ZT Global, which is one of the slightly larger ones that's out there. And the volume is not crazy low, but it's not where I would expect it to be. And this is reflected in the price movement. There's more buy pressure than sell pressure, but it just seems like volume's low. So either it, it seems to verify that at some point just the newness wore off and then volume kind of slowed down and we didn't see as much sustained volume as we might expect, but there's still interest in the project. And there's the burn mechanic that happens, which means that there's constant shifts in the price, but not necessarily due to strong value or volume. I haven't seen very much shilling of this project. I think I saw a couple of videos every now and blooming and then I see on their roadmap, they were trying to go after shillers. I talked about that and I wasn't gonna go deep into it. I don't know if that did or didn't work or they, it just, whatever, but I don't see that there was anything, it, did, it didn't get shoved in my face, which is good. And it didn't seem like there was very much, there's chatter, but it's not like standout chatter. Like if you were to look at all the different altcoin type projects, Project Phoenix gets probably 10 times the chatter, even though nothing's going on with it. <laughs> And then this one's got much more volume, but it doesn't have nearly the liquidity. So I don't know what the deal is with that one. But when I ran this through market move and it came back and it said that the top wallet, top 10, have close to 25% of circulation, that's a big problem. Because if it's not as, if the top wallet right now has an estimated 8 million in value, but there's not enough liquidity even for that person to cash out, is, was there some sort of rug pull? Was there some sort of issue where something tanked the project due to reputation? What happened? And then people might say, well, why would it have so many holders? The issue with the holder count is dust wallets because what happens is even if you liquidate, they're still getting reflections because of the timing. And so it could be that because of the reflections, they were just accumulating holders, but the vast majority have sold out of the project, which would explain why there's top 10 holders have 25% of the supply because it would be the only way to help keep the value from dropping any further than where it eventually started. So I saw that there's a liquidity pool that's locked, which is good. And the liquidity pools I verified with market move, cause you can do this. I verified indeed that the liquidity pools are indeed low prim primarily across the board. Then I stumbled across a different liquidity pool that for whatever reason, isn't the primary. And I think what happened here, and this may be something they want to address, because I think it might be, 
I think it might be contributing to some of their issue, and I'm not sure if they're working on it now. It looks like the vast majority of their liquidity is still locked, not locked, but still in PancakeSwap V1. Tokens that spin up have primarily focused on PancakeSwap V2, or like on the Uniswap side, they would go to Uniswap V2 unless they were pushed to V3. And if you know about the different, like with Uniswap, for example, the main difference in Uniswap V2 versus V3, Uniswap V2 is open source code, so you can review it, and then Uniswap V3 is closed source code. I don't know if PancakeSwap has that same thing. I do know that PancakeSwap V2 was supposed to be the push for the default. It may simply be when the token was spun up the first time that PancakeSwap V1 was the go-to and V2 was just coming around and they didn't move it. And maybe there was no reason to move it, but I don't know if there's an opportunity to do so, but I, I would be curious if having it stuck in V1 causes problems with buys and sells. Maybe, maybe not, don't know. So that was the one thing I noticed is, yeah, there's liquidity, but it's locked in the lesser V1 for PancakeSwap and not in V2 of PancakeSwap. That might go to price impacts and cause issues with people trading. Maybe, I don't know. So then I looked at the contract. Now in their white paper and pretty much predominantly throughout the site, they make a lot of claims that can't be independently verified and yet to review the contract. So for example, the liquidity is locked. We see that. Yes, that's confirmed. The uh, dead, we basically they burned over half the supply. We confirm that. We see that. However, they made statements that the ownership was renounced upon its creation to a dead address. The, I don't know what that means. So I speculate what that means, but I don't really know what that means. So Market Move wants to understand if ownership has been renounced and normally ownership renouncing is a function that you call and what it does is it sets the owner explicitly to a, a zero wallet. When you do that, Market Move is smart enough to test that it's not an actual wallet. So basically it goes and queries and it wants to make sure that this is not an actual wallet or some might actually transfer ownership to the dead wallet but that's usually looked at as a yellow flag. They don't like to see that. They like to see that there's an explicit call that renounces ownership that sets it to a zero-based wallet. It's what I've seen normally. In this case, Market Move says, no, there's still an ownership, there's still an owner address put on this. I looked in the code. There's there's a section, I'm trying to simplify it so I'm not over technical, but there's a section that talks about is this owned by somebody? and you can transfer ownership, there's a an event. So it says, did this get changed, this owner, to somebody else? Then it says, all right, we're going to send a request, and the initial sets the deployer contract, which is a different wallet, as the initial quote owner. So this would be, I have a wallet, and I wanna set this contract in motion, and it's gonna be the initial owner, which is kind of the default, that's okay. Then there's a function of the current owner. So we want to search it and see is the current owner set correctly. I query it, it comes back, yes, that's good. Then there's a function that says, let's check this and make sure that whoever's calling this is the owner. And if it's not, it'll error out at you. So all this is good. And by the way, kudos to this Pitbull team for very detailed comments in the code. And I can compare the functions and the code syntax against the comments because I can see what they're trying to do. So then they get down and it's the renounce that I would expect to see. And then it says, okay, we transferred it into an address zero. So don't worry about the details of that, but I see what I'm supposed to see. And then it's setting into address zero and it's saying we're gonna leave the contract without an owner. And that means that you're not gonna be able to call any functions and the challenge I saw in why Market Move I think is coming back and saying no, it's not renounced. It looks like this function may not have been called yet. I'm assuming, and so I went over into a BSC Scan. What looks to be the case on my read, and it's kind of involved. What looks to be the case is when there's a renounce called. It looks like it's storing whoever was in place. So I, I look at it in Binance BSC scan and I can see it's the dead wallet, 
but then it looks like it's storing whatever that address was, so let's say my wallet, into a variable called previous owner. And then there's a function where it can temporarily unlock and then sets from previous owner back to owner. If I'm reading it right, and I may be reading it wrong because it's quite involved in this section. And I, this one, it specifically says in the comments, unlocks the contract for owner when lock time is exceeds. And then it says, locks the contract for owner for the amount of time provided. So like if I were to call function lock, and then I say, okay, the first thing it does is set previous owner to owner. Owner is address zero. Okay, no problem. Address zero is what I would expect, but if address zero, which is an array, stores previous owner's wallet, that's gonna basically set the owner back to whatever that wallet address was before I called the lock, if I'm reading it right. This one I might not be reading right, so I'd love to have him talk it out to explain this section of the code because market move is pretty adamant that the ownership's not truly renounced. Although I verified on BSC scan, it is set to the dead address. They may be seeing that this function's there that's not truly fully renounced because there's a function to undo it, is my guess. Which creates the other issues with centralization because it's talking about the inclusion and rewards, changing the tax fees, all the different things that can happen if the ownership is not fully renounced in the contract and thus changes could be made or it could be that these are functions, legacy functions left in there. So in the tech rate audit, when I go take a look at that and see what they say about it, tech rate doesn't even call out the centralization in what it reviewed. So I'll summarize, I guess, what I see a couple different ways. Number one, yes, I love the website. I love the way they do it. I love the community and the way they handle it. I think there's a good product here. I think they have a lot of potential, but I don't rate tech rate. I would love to see a dessert finance audit because dessert finance is gonna kick the tires and if there is something there with the centralization risk, they're gonna find it and they're gonna call it out. So I would love to see a dessert finance audit. I think the white paper is good, but I think we need to resolve the question about some of the stuff that's shown in the contract code that market moves calling out to see if they're truly issues or if market moves misreading something. And if it's misreading something, why? Because I've run multiple BSC contracts and I've never seen it do what it's doing where I see in BSC scan that it's set to a dead wallet, but then I see a function that lets you temporarily unlock and market move appears to be resonating to that. So I think it needs to be resolved because it goes to the accuracy of the white paper. The fact that they have white papers in multiple languages and PDFs, Hercules, Hercules, great. So content is great. The products and things that they have, great. The approach is great, the messaging is great, and it seems like they're serious, and it seems like they're engaging. The liquidity beyond V1, I'd like to understand a little better if it has to stay that way, or if you could somehow resolve that, get to V2. I don't know if you can, maybe you can't, because it's locked, because that's possible. So talk that through, what does that mean? Does it affect anything? Maybe not, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's fine. I know that when I was trying to battle PancakeSwap when I first got into Binance, I was having issues with the V1, V2. Same with Uniswap, because it was like certain tokens were still stuck on V1, and the interface defaults to V2, and they actually added a switch at the bottom to forcibly go back to the old, but then they removed those switches. That's why I want to understand, was there some way that PancakeSwap bridged it to where you don't care, and then it's moot? Or is this an issue that you worry about, and with the volume being as low as it is, is it a problem, is it not a problem? The other piece is, as I look at on Dex tools in this case, I want to try to understand, given the whole PancakeSwap V1 situation, and I did find those, if somebody were looking to check the product project and look at the graphs, da, 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 and I don't know if this could be fixed, but Dex tools struggles when you have different liquidity pools. It'll show you a bunch of garbage and you can't get to the right thing. So it misrepresents where your project is. So like I can see, but I have to scroll down, the wrapped BNB for Pitbull so that I can see what that movement is. And then I see a market cap of 150 million. I see holders of close to 500,000, but it says the volume's none. And that's because 
when it renders, it's querying the different pool for just rap BNB. When I refresh, then it goes back and says, oh, well, actually there's 500,000 here. There's nothing in Dex tools where I can find the liquidity pool I know is there for just BNB because of the way Dex tools works. It doesn't let you do on the desktop side, I should stress, it doesn't let you easily do the getting to that specific pair that would have the vast majority of the liquidity so that the graph is accurate. Like even now, I can't see the straight BNB pool on V1. I can see the wrapped BNB pool, but it's not the 4 million. I can't see the pool for 4 million, and I don't know why, because I know it's there, because I see it on market move. So I'm saying that people that are searching might get thrown off because they'll see numbers that aren't accurate based on where the token truly is, that the liquidity actually should be healthy if it can still help hit the V1. Now, it's possible if this is a V2 token that the liquidity is for the V1 version of the token, that's also possible. Goes back to my question of whether or not that liquidity can be reclaimed or if it's locked or what the deal is, to get it to where it's all consolidated under V2 so that now the uh, DexTools interface can be accurate and not misleading as it currently is. So the, the way that they're positioning their tool, the project, I think is excellent in messaging. I just think there's these other things, these niggling things, these small little things that hamper the, the confidence in people to buy into the project potentially because you're getting misleading perceptions from different sources outside of your control source. The screeners reviewing the contract swear that it's not renounced. There are functions that let you temporarily renounce ownership. That These are concerns should be addressed because they go to the white paper. The Dex tools interface, from what I can see, isn't showing me the liquidity pool that I think is the one that should matter, which goes to the health of the project. As a result, things like the trust score and other things are affected. All these are external things that I think need to be cleaned up. If they're truly wrong or misrepresented or whatever, I think they need to be fixed, however they need to be fixed. And I did cross check as much as I could against like ZT Global and other sources just to make sure I wasn't seeing something wrong. And ZT Global swears that there's volume, which is good, but it, it you know the liquidity is a liquidity. So I should be able to get straight to that pool and see the price movement around that pool, which is the primary pool I can tell because it's got like 4 million in liquidity. And it's shown as a liquidity pool, so it's gotta be powering something, but what is that powering and why isn't it, why can't we expose it through Dex tools like we think we should? And why does Dex tools think there's let, you know, about 200,000 when there should be like 4 million. These are open questions I think should be answered. Personal opinion anyway, because it looks like it's a solid project. It looks like they have all best intentions. It looks like they're trying to do something that could be shattering. I just think all these things should be addressed. I also think, you know, before they go after, because I know they're also going after OKX exchange. I think a lot of those should be addressed before we get on more exchanges. And if it's simply a matter of inaccurate documentation in places, I think that should be addressed as well. Pitbull.community is their website. I do encourage you to take a look at it. It does look like a solid project. Just there's a lot of confusing data points out there. I don't put an opinion about why they're confusing. I just say they're confusing as presented. And it may be a big nothing burger, as somebody once said, or there are things that should be addressed that I think would hold them back. I'm just going off of what I see, and unfortunately, I can't get to the point outside of their tool to see true true volume. The volume looks low. Is the volume low only on certain liquidity pools, or is the value actually not that low? Their tool swears there's nine million in liquidity. I'd like to verify this against outside sources. Dex Tools is the number one that I would go to. I want to see that Dex Tools tells me and confirms that there's 9 million liquidity. Market Move says there's just about eh, 5, probably about 5 million in liquidity. Yeah, 4.6 million in the top liquidity pool. And of that, 1% is unlocked. So it's it can't be both. It can't be 5 and it can't be 9. I can't even find, it. let's say that it's the, let's say it is 9. If... Market move says that there's five 
then the delta would be the four that I'm seeing over in PancakeSwap V1 to get to the nine. However, I can't get Dex tools to confirm that there's even five. <laughs> like that's the that's the thing I would like to better understand. And again, could be just a misread of the data, but it doesn't look like any other token I've ever seen doing the same thing. When I look at then PooCoin, PooCoin says it sees the V1 and the V2, but PooCoin only comes back with the five million in liquidity, not the nine million that the Pitbulls tool comes back with. So let's assume that Dex tools can't see the, P, the V1 pool. I would like to know why, and that should be resolved. I suspect it's because Dex tool wants it to be wrapped BNB rather than BNB because of the way that the liquidity pools normally work. I suspect that's why, no problem. Then I'd wanna solve why is there a discrepancy in 5 million on PooCoin and 9 million close to 10 million in their tool. Where is that gap? Where's that delta? And the only explanation I got is this extra 4 million sitting in V1. So if anybody's listening, I think the external data sources should be fixed and consolidated so that they're all consistent in whatever's the truth. I'm not saying there is or isn't anything true or not true or any of that. I'm not making any finding. I'm sharing what I see and a potential reason why there might be uh, some people that are a little bit nervous uh, about buying in. Other than that, I think it's a good project from what I can see. I don't see any other concerns if we can address some of those things I called out. So check it out. Pitbull.community is the website. For those that say I don't get the website, Pitbull.community. Check it out. I do encourage you to check it out because I think it's a good project. They got a lot going on. Just, and you may not care. You may say, you know, I want to buy into this just because I'm a gambler. By all means, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm simply sharing what I see. That was Pitbull, which I covered on YouTube first, now here on the podcast. I've been following Pitbull ever since this coverage, and I'm very intrigued. It seems like a very strong community of people. And some of the backstory I didn't know at the time I did the coverage was that apparently the token had been abandoned by the original developer, and it seems like another developer, a group of developers picked up and helped it continue the stream because it is developer supported right now. So, but if you go to CoinMarketCap, it says that the initial developer had abandoned it. So I'm assuming that different developers came in, restored it. It seems like it's more community focused now. So many of the issues that I called out, either they may not be aware of it or it could be lingering from the original devs. It seems like there was a bigger story around it, but I was watching it and it is a very compelling investment to look at. I do encourage you to at least take a look at Pitbull. Uh, if for no other reason than to just see another one, it's been around for about close to a year and a half now. So it's it's been around a while and it's it seems like they've it's mature as a product. And considering I hadn't heard of it till very recently, I'm very surprised given how mature it is that more people weren't talking about it. And so now I've kind of been not an advocate, but I've been very intrigued by the level of community. They recently got listed on OKX, which is one of the largest exchanges by volume, and that's significantly helped their growth. It's kind of plateaued now, so it's calmed down, but it's still getting back on the steady stream of success that seems to be, it's very similar actually to the early days of SHIB, because I was there when SHIB first was a thing, and we only had you know, 200,000, 300,000 holders, and it was predominantly Reddit, the organic community, of SHIB, that's what this reminds me of. It reminds me of those days when you have just a very, you have a good community of people coming together to make the thing successful. And it's not like Pitbull really does anything utility wise. There's a lot that they have built, but I'm saying outside the crypto bubble. But I don't think that the community aspect can be understated. And it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the future. So again, I encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, if you're interested in other projects that have some intrigue, and of course, I will celebrate the fact that they are Binance as opposed to Ethereum. That's all I got for you today. Again, we got one more episode remaining in the month of March. That's going to be on the 31st, rather, of that's Thursday coming up. And once that episode wraps up, and I will give you the final bits that you'll need to know prior to our move to the new hosting platform, which should be on deck, and then the new uh, host will be engaged starting on the episode that's on the 5th. That's that following Tuesday. So I will, 
I guarantee you that I will have more information. In fact, next episode will probably be dedicated to those points that I want to cover with everybody that they should know. I'm, I'm stressing to you that it should be largely transparent and I'm working hard to make sure that's the case, that you won't have any changes that you can see or hear necessarily. As far as things you have to do in your app, you shouldn't have to do anything. Everything should just redirect automatically. There are a couple of things I have to do behind the scenes for those that subscribe through Substack just to make sure you get your email alerts, testing and making sure that the replacement alert function is working to my satisfaction. Because if you've heard me, you know quality is something I strive very hard to achieve and attain and maintain. And so there's a lot that goes into that since it's just me. But I'm stressing to you here and now, Luther Vandross, I am going to work as hard as I can that this is as transparent as it can be, probably more than anything else. This won't be the last time I have to move hosts. As podcasts grow, you kind of have, you kind of outgrow where you're at. You have to go where something's going to be allowing you to grow even further. And Basic Cryptonomics, now Crypto Talk Radio, has grown leaps and bounds beyond my wildest expectations. And now is the right time for me to take it to the next level so I can give you more and I can dedicate more time to it. I will check in with you guys on Thursday. Take care. Please do remember, don't invest more than you can afford to lose, especially now. There are a lot more projects that are spinning up and they just rug pull or they drop or the developer just quits or something else happens. This is happening more and more and it's harder to identify when it's going to happen. Also, the scams are getting a lot more creative. So the best way to mitigate your risk, don't invest more than you can afford to lose and don't get tempted by the green candle. You'll learn and master the ability to gauge when it makes sense to invest in a project and you'll learn when certain projects are quick you know, take profit and go out. And when certain projects, you can long haul them. No matter what, though, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Make sure your family's taken care of. Make sure your situation's in a good spot. Make sure you're not putting yourself out to invest in cryptocurrency. It's simply not worth it these days. I do think we'll come out better on the back end, especially if the blowout happens in November and we get smarter people in the office. I do think everything's going to improve. And I think crypto's on a positive track. Even with the war going on, it seems like it's holding strong, and that's a good thing for all of us. Take care. I'll check back with you guys Thursday.